When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Bloodandmud.com podcast, your sweary pipe bomb of rugby knowledge. I am Lee Calvert, editor of Bloodandmud.com, and over there is... I'm Josh Gardner of RugbyShieldWatch.com. This week, we're going to be throwing a rugby into a sort of Nutri-Bullet thing and letting it all get smashed together and then take a sip of it and wince because it's so awful, but tell ourselves it's doing us some good, so we're going to keep going forward. Um, we're going to review the games from the weekend in the Six Nations. Some were better than others, were they not? Mm. Uh, after moaning about stats last week and analysis, we're going to go on a massive stats <laughs> riff this week because I found yeah. something really interesting that I want to talk about. Um, we're going to look at where we're up to with Shitwatch. We took a bit of a twist this weekend. Uh, shit good races will be coming along as usual. Of and then there'll be a discussion about the nightmare that has become the TMO. And then we'll finish off, as usual, with the loop. And that's what we've got in store for you this week. Hello, Josh. This is, this is the bloodandmud.com podcast, which uh, you can get in touch with me at Blood and Mud on Twitter or bloodandmud.com on the internet or Facebook mm-hmm. slash Blood and Mud, basically. Where are you, Josh? Uh, I am at Josh Gardner for uh, personal rantings and uh, at Rugby Shirt Watch for more general things about rugby shirts, I guess. Does exactly what it says on the tin. To do a tiny plug at the moment, oh. um, Adidas have kindly sent me uh, all ten 
Super Rugby New Zealand shirts to give away. So if you like them, keep an eye on the blog on the uh, Twitter the next couple of months, and uh, we'll see if we can get you one. We probably won't, but you know. There you go, Josh Gardner shamelessly hawking his wares above oh, yes. the airwaves. Um, you can hear this uh, pod on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Acast now as well. Oh, good. Um, and if you are listening to us anywhere, please do give us your thoughts, a bit of a rating, a couple of seconds of a rating, or a nice written rating, if you will, or not even a nice one, I don't care, just just write whatever we, you we think. We just need some sort of attention and validation, don't we, really? Basically, I yeah, mean, the only reason yeah. I do this is so that you can, you know, give me some kind of validation. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, that's about us, and I'll move on now. Yes. Let's go to the review of the Six Nation games from the weekend. Josh? Yes. Let's go so chronologically, shall we? Oh, and we'll do start we off. <laughs> yeah, we'll start <laughs> off with it with the Friday night shite. Oh God, I did say I thought it would be a shit game, but I truly did honestly didn't week. expect it to be quite that bad. Um, it probably eclipsed France Island in the unwatchable shit fest stakes. Let's be honest. And uh, yeah, like you say, you've got to love that thrilling Friday night rugby spectacle, don't you? You have. Yeah, I do think um, a few people are sort of trying to make the point that it wasn't actually that awful. That, you know, wrong. was was it really? Yes, there. <laughs> I see. I think that, but you see, they're using words like "for the purist" and if you watch oh. the defences. Now, you see, what annoys me is, is that I consider myself to be a, fu- a purist. Yes, you know, I made this exact point on Twitter, and I, and I still like, think it was shite. Yeah, a purist means that you enjoy rugby being done competently, and there was very little of that on fifty percent of the game, which is the attacking bit on Friday. Yeah, exactly. That kind of my defensive work up to a point. Mm. What annoys me is that, yes, defence is hard work. Yes, you have to be organised and you do have to be fit. And, and Wales' defence is to be admired. However, you can't escape the fact that being destructive is the easiest part of any sport. Yes. Getting yourself and... in the way, in a competent way, is the easiest mm. part of any sport. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not fun, is it? Like... No, you can you compare that with you know Super Rugby started again this weekend, and, and I I can appreciate that some people have issues with Super Rugby being slightly over the top ridiculous and and you know. Well, that's the other end sco- of the daft spectrum. Isn't exactly, it? that's the other. But you look at which one of those is more entertaining to watch. Is it the the game that ended thirty seven thirty four, or mm. the one that ended sixteen nine with no tries, and it's like. <laughs> Well, what, yes, what, I can appreciate the merits of both, but from a purely logical perspective, the one where stuff happened that was skillful and entertaining is going to be the more entertaining one. And yeah, it is. I don't want to see. There has to be some kind of premium on points, <clears> otherwise <throat> it becomes basketball, and no, yes. Christ, nobody wants that. But I, it's a bit like the Test cricket, twenty twenty cricket argument to me. You no, know, but, I yeah. don't want to see the ball being smashed out of the park all the time. No. Um, but also, you know, and yes, and there is something to be said about technical ability and and defence and stuff like that. But really good Test cricket is actually where the person who's bowling is doing a brilliant job, and so is the bats person. That's in the this, thing, isn't in it? this job, in this game, it. I don't. I don't however, you want to dress it up, it, that wasn't happening. It basically looked like thirty pe- thirty men attempting to shit concrete for about eighty minutes. It was, and I mean, there's there's a lot of blame to go around for why this game was so shit and um, you can call me partisan if you want but I think a lot of that is probably France 
because for all the new players that Gino has blooded, they're just playing exactly the same as Sant Andre that they did under Sant Andre at the moment. Like ne- like negative, cynical, reductive anti rugby. They're just doing it even less competently because they don't know what they're doing. I think it was some um, Gavin Mortimer, the uh, French-based rugby journal, who said after the game that they just bring teams down to their level. Yeah, and I think there is some truth in that because all they can do is smash and niggle and try to bully teams, which can be quite effective if you let it go. But the problem is that teams then get preoccupied trying to ensure that they don't allow themselves to be bullied, and in doing so, they end up playing exactly the same kind of negative arm wrestling shite as the French do. And it's three games in now, and I said on Twitter at the time, but I've got absolutely no idea what they're trying to do. Which no. then obviously comes back to that because they've got no idea what they're trying to do. Yeah, and it, it is, but it is though. They clearly don't have a fucking clue what the game plan is. No. And the they, Plisson's a perfect example, isn't it? Because Plisson. He doesn't know. What he hasn't got a clue is. what he's doing. Has he? No. I mean, as shit as France were, though, that is not to take anything away from Wales, who were apocalyptically terrible with ball in hand. Like, yeah. it's, it's an absolute national disgrace how incompetent these talented individuals come when you stick a red shot on them at the moment. You've only got to look at the stats. Like, in the tournament so far, they've now got the fewest carries, the second fewest meters made, the fewest clean breaks, the second fewest offload, and the most kicks in play. It's such a damning, sorry state of affairs. It can only be the coaching, though, can't it? Yeah, it's it's absolutely the coaching. Like the players don't look like they don't know how to think for themselves, or they're so afraid of making a mistake that they just seek the safety and comfort of either contact or kicking mm. the ball long, so that they don't have to take responsibility for it. And they might um, not, so they won't lose the ball. Yeah, because obviously that's the absolute fear, isn't it? That actually losing the ball means that you're going to get dropped. If we yeah. if we believe what Mike Phillips said, but but and that's the yeah, and that is the thing. Like we look afraid, and I've I've been patient with Wales over the last couple of years because while it's undoubtedly bad, I didn't think that we were actively losing games because of it. But mm. now it's become clear that not only are we losing games because we can't score tries, we lost two of them at the World Cup because of it. Um, but we're also, it just feels like we're going backwards in general. We look less coherent and competent with the ball in hand now than we did 12 months ago with roughly the same set of players. And that's quite alarming. I come back to the Jamie Roberts argument, right? And I know we keep having this discussion. And I said, and I wrote some on the blog today, and I said that you know there are things you're not allowed to do. And one of them seems to be criticised Jamie Roberts. Because he's just to be lionised and he's wonderful. But the ball just doesn't get past him. And uh, did you see that Eliotta? Yes, I, I did see that. He said, and, you know, and he had that screenshot saying, look mm. at the state of this shit. There's 14, literally, that's what he said. That's not even me swearing. That was him. Yeah. He's, he said, you know, there's 14 French players here and the ball does not get past Robert. Why yeah, is he so hardwired just to keep running into and people? I just, I, I, it's got to be the coaching. I think it, I, for, for my sins, I was reading an Andy Howell Q&A on, uh, on Wales Online this afternoon I don't, don't ask me why really <laughs> I, <laughs> it was a boring day um, and and they were ta- they were asking you know what is wrong with Wales' attack and is it the coaches and, and he said something that for once was actually fairly prescient and he was like every time I talk to Rob Howley he's obsessed with winning the aerial battle and yeah. nothing else and that just seems to be it like I honestly don't think that the problem here is the players because people talk about 
James Hook or Justin Tipperick or Scott Williams or Reese Webb or for that Liam Williams or whoever being the fucking magic bullet that's going to come in and make us play nice rugby again. But the fact is, this is 1-15, to 15, probably the most talented Welsh team we've had since the 70s. And they can play attacking rugby as well as anybody in the Northern Hemisphere when they're allowed to. But this coaching team has clearly ruined that. And if they can't change their methods to encourage these players to express themselves rather than just make them play with fear all the time, which is clearly what they're doing at the moment then I'm sorry they should be gone like I don't give a shit anymore that Gatlin's made Wales respectable or that Edwards has made us the best defensive team in the world or that Rob Howley is some kind of fucking Svengali of attacking genius allegedly but if the way that they treat players leaves them so wracked with doubt when they have the ball that they either need to radically change their approach or they, they need to go because I think I'd rather watch Wales lose 35-33 than see them lose seventeen fifteen or even win nine three, you know I was I was yeah. so disgusted. Ian Bradshaw on Twitter said to me, who's a Twins fan, I think he he said mm. that Roberts is passing for Quins. Yes, he, he doesn't. Is. Ha- he this... doesn't have this sticky hand problem at Harlequins. I think the coaches and union bods they they forget that people pay huge sums of money for this. And that sport, as much as we tried to sort of attribute all of these greater other things to it, at the end of the day, it is supposed to be entertainment. Yeah. And if people are paying 80 odd quid to go and sit in a fucking freezing cold stadium with a broken roof on a Friday night, then it's, it's their duty to actually try and do something that is at least a spectacle. It doesn't have to be the fucking barbars, but at least has to have some semblance of trying to entertain. Well, Wales offloaded for about the first five minutes, didn't they? And everyone well, went, oh, hello. And yeah. then it all just, it all then just it stopped. got retreated back in. It was, like, it was like the message got out from the coaches to stop. Yeah, I um, think I think Gatlin must have pressed that button and electrocutes everybody. <laughs> that, that kind of, you know, um, aversion but, therapy that he's got going on. Yes, if you try and pass, I'll electrocute you. Pavlovian thing, yes. But like, I, I try to get a, to a a few Wales games a year I think I went to four last year in total but I've honestly decided as I was watching that game I think at the end I decided that I'm not going to go and pay money to go and see Wales until such a time as they've delivered they've proved that they can deliver a spectacle that's worth paying for and like I would honestly encourage any Welsh fan that left the Principality Stadium on Friday night feeling like they hadn't got their money's worth to do likewise because that's literally the only language that these people understand is if 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 Royal fans keep coming to watch this shit in their 70 odd thousands then it's never going to change and it, I know it won't actually make any fucking difference really but I just I'm so sick of it because the really depressing thing is that for all the scorn that this performance has elicited I was going to <laughs> If they beat England in two weeks' time, nobody's going to give a shit. I was going to bring it back to the point that they are actually winning games, though, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't feel like it. That's the thing. I, I, Wales have lost games, and I've felt less like angry and disgusted than I did after the performance on Friday night because it was just so negative and so reductive and so just fucking awful. And... That's not what rugby's supposed to be about. It's supposed to actually be fun, and we have sucked the life out of it. As um, I think it was, was it Danny Blanchflower who played for Tottenham said, "No, it's it was talking about football." But he said, "No, it's not just about winning. It's about the glory." Yeah, and, and the glory comes in in many different forms. Yeah, it does, and there is none. There is no glory right now because even winning 
it doesn't feel like a victory. It feels like, oh, thank God we haven't fucked that up. Yeah, because imagine if you were losing playing like that. Well, actually, you don't have to imagine because every time the Southern Hemisphere team's roll into town, you know exactly what it feels like to lose whilst playing like that. You know, at least if you thought, well, you know what? I can't stand it, but, you know, it is getting getting results. results. It's actually not... It It gets results in the Six Nations, but I would happily trade losing every game in this tournament if it meant we got a win in New Zealand in the summer. Or got to a World Cup final. Or got to a World Cup final, or did anything to show that Wales have made progress but instead we're so paranoid about for some reason losing a tour- in a tournament that we've already won what three times under Gatland already he's been there done that he doesn't matter you, you see but I would, I would counter with that because a lot of people say well hang on a minute the Six Nations is a, is a tournament in its own right it's got its own past its own history you shouldn't just write it off because you're trying to beat New Zealand no but you've got to look that Wales haven't beaten New Zealand since 1953 and the fact of the matter is the squad that we've got is good enough to at least have a fair old crack at that and it's, they've got for a given value of close relatively close but there's clearly something fundamentally not sound in the way that we play and in our mentality that means that we always come up short and whether that is a mental thing you know, if it is then that's a problem that that can't be overcome overnight yeah. but, but something has got to be done it can't go on like this so anyway if you're a Wales, Wales fan out there <laughs> if, if one of the small number of listeners is a Wales fan do you agree with Josh because I think it's mm. an interesting point because I mean a lot of people say we know we're winning shut your face sort of thing Yeah. but I get the impression that people are more people are like you it's, that they're getting fr- increasingly fr- frustrated Friday felt like a proper sea change moment because I've kind of been in the to be honest with you as long as we're winning I can live with it camp for some time now but Friday night was French were shit and any yeah. half decent team would have taken them to pieces and instead we just fell over ourselves constantly and it was hopeless and yeah I'm done with it so we don't agree that it was a game for purists no <laughs> to, to sum slightly. that up and basically Josh it must be a 29th of February thing, which is when we recorded it, because Josh has just lost his shit big time <laughs> for the first time on here, which is good. Mm, I have a uh, bit. So that was Wales versus France. Josh has had enough. See if you, see if, see if you uh, agree with Josh and let us know. Uh, at Blood and Mud or oh, at Josh Gardner. That feels all cathartic. Huh? Do you feel better now? There's a way I'm, gl- I'm glad yeah. you feel better. <laughs> um, so moving on then to Saturday... Scotland versus yes. Italy. Uh, well, I asked you a question about the Wales. I said, was it really that awful? The answer was yes. Let's ask you another question. Was this the best game of the tournament so far? I, well, it's between see, this I, and Wales-Scotland, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, I tell you, I woke up in a pretty dark place on Saturday morning, as you might <laughs> not be surprised. And, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but thank God for Scotland and Italy, because they absolutely <laughs> restored my faith in Northern Hemisphere rugby. It was great. It was a cracking game. This is like, this is um. We keep saying things we could never quite believe we're going to say. A few weeks ago, we said, uh, "What did we say the other week?" They've missed Paul James in the scrum. Yes, something we never thought we would say. And now, thank God for Scotland and Italy. Yeah, I never thought I'd go there, but yeah, probably yeah, one of the probably the second best game of the tournament, if not the best one. You're right, and and comfortably the best one of the weekend. And I've actually got some respect for Scotland in this case because the Me way too. it was being talked about before, you know, they had, they, to get to 10, that that horrific yeah. double figures without a win thing, 
And that could have absolutely... I mean, the way they yeah. were talking about it, it's like they were all going to be taken out and lined up against the wall if they lost, you know. Like, exactly. Like uh, the Iraqi football team in the, in the <laughs> 90s. But the, um, I think the fact that they still played the way that they play and Cotter had enough balls to absolutely. let them play is to be admired, actually. Yeah, I, I thought it was... As you say, I was worried that the nerves were going to get the better of them um, or that they would be really timid and sort of more afraid of losing than they were of winning but they just came out of the blocks and said fuck it we're going to win this game we're better than this lot and we're going to do it and obviously they had a bit of a wobble as any team that's sort of finding its feet confidence wise would but they managed to cap things off with a real flourish as well so yeah I, I, I thought they were fantastic I thought they were they were really very good the scrum was looking good Really good, yeah. Uh, I mean, somebody said, I can't remember who it was on, on Twitter, said about, um, well, I, it's too gone under my radar, we're not doing shit good now, but he, we'll mention this now anyway, but was uh, was is Al Dickinson. <coughs> yeah. Who's <laughs> having a very, very good tournament. You know, a lot a lot of it goes on to WP Nell on the other side. Yeah. Who, who'd, by the way, tried on. to do the best interception I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> WP it was Nell. not good, was it? It was like it a was flying pig good. trying to catch a beach ball uh, in its trotter. Yeah. But it was a... A lot, of, but he gets a lot of the chat, doesn't he? WP now, he does. Uh, understandably, because he's, new, he's made a hell of a difference. But yes, uh, but and, yeah, but it's only no, fair to give Al Dickinson some credit, especially when well, you know, yeah, Jeff somebody's Cross got before, somebody's got to hold the other side up, haven't they? And and he's doing a very good job of it, though. Um, I have to say though, Conor O'Shea has got a hell of a job ahead of him if he is taking over Italy, because that Italian scrum is bad, and yeah. pretty much every bad thing that happened to the jury on the weekend came from the fact that they just don't have any scrum to speak of which is a, a huge it feels like they've lost their identity a little bit and they look so uncomfortable without that sort of anchor of the set piece to rely on well it was never something they had to worry about was it no exactly like, and we, we can we can secure the ball quite well it's when it gets to the number 10 that everything goes completely wrong yeah and it's a shame because credit to them like they've got some pretty decent backs now like Sato Campagnaro Garcia Kala yeah. obviously hell even Haimona was good on the weekend what the yeah, what, fuck was that about what was going on there <laughs> I, yeah. I had to keep you know that film Inception you have to spin that thing to check you know, yes. your dream I get, I, the, the totem I thought I'd have to spin this because I reckon I'm, I'm in about the third level of dreaming if, if Kelly Hyman Hyman is, play well. is my totem is <laughs> yeah. when, the only time you know you're in the real world is when you, you can look at Kelly Hyman yes, playing I, badly I know that he's shit and that's fine that was yeah no yeah, the, Italy scored a really really good try in the first half and they did. They they yeah, they they've got talent there. They just all of they kind of seem to only have one or t'other. They've got some backs all of a sudden, and their scrum's gone to shit. So, well, the scrub the players in the scrum aren't that bad. I reckon it's one that you know they're, they're not terrible. You haven't got a terribly weak front row or anything. No. So it just suggests to me better. they need to get they need to get an Argentinian in. That's what solves everything scrum wise. It does seem it? to be, doesn't it? Get or, an Argentinian I mean, in. There's a couple of Geraldinian players like that. They are getting on a bit now. You wonder if maybe it's time for some new. Geraldini, yeah. I've noticed, has basically just got a perfectly spherical widow's nest thing going on now, <laughs> which I would not say to his face, admittedly. But yeah, probably Absolutely. probably time to shave. So that. yeah, we we enjoy Scotland, Italy. Well yeah. done to Scotland. I think this is a good. It is as much as it it wouldn't have been the end of the world if they lost. It is a good thing that they can kick on now into France next. Is it? Uh, I think so. Yes. Yeah. France next, and then. And or it might be it might be Ireland next actually. Oh, know. is it either way? No, well, I think it's which, Ireland at Murrayfield. So, all right, okay. Which brings us nicely on to uh, yes. speaking of Ireland, England versus Ireland. Another I I said at the end of the victory. game. 
<laughs> I said at the end of the game that as much as you know, I get frustrated by England as I have <laughs> done for a long time. You can't really argue with it. It's kind of business-like and not well, particularly yeah. great, but that's England, isn't it? It's I'll what do we what expect? It what it reminds me of that nobody's really saying anything about is that it looks exactly like the Lancaster era before things completely fell apart. So That's it, a very good point, yeah. It looks like, right down to the awful tendency to go to absolute pieces with decision-making inside the 22, to be honest. Mm. But, like, I mean, compared to the tail end of the Lancaster era, though, they've they've clearly got so much more confidence and self-belief, particularly among the forwards, and that sort of the scrum is very is, is solid now and, and is the line out's a weapon and the defence uh, fair play to Paul Gastardi's clearly done a fantastic job with that. And and yeah, it does it sort of feels like when they were motivated and when they were, you know, high on confidence under Lancaster, that's kind of how they played as well. They were sort of efficient, they didn't set the world on fire, but they were very good and they did their job and yeah. I think Gustav's managed to work out, which is kind of sad really, that <clears throat> most people who playing decision making positions in rugby teams are a bit thick mm. because he just does the same thing every time I know I've talked about this before and I'll say it again but he he basically sends Haskell out of the line yeah. to go and bang somebody at second receiver That's <laughs> that. talk about the England defensive pattern that is it he, yeah. sends, he sends somebody like Haskell out or whoever's in that position to go out and bang somebody at second receiver and basically people just keep throwing the ball through two Certain, pairs of hands to, to play straight into it. Certainly why the, did. It was very odd. But everybody has done so far. And I think, you know, why there's no outside half in particular who can spot that that's going to happen and do something different, like get people running off him yeah. at different angles. Because rugby can get into the massive space that's behind him when he flies out of the it line. It doesn't even have know? to be as risky as that, really. Because you think about when rugby league, rugby league defensive patterns, and I know it's, you can't compare, but the reason why rugby league are in a line is because mm. when you're in a perfect straight line, the gaps between you are equidistant. Let's say you've got eight feet between you. Yeah. If one person pushes out of the line, it creates a 16-foot gap where he was yeah. and creates a longer gap in the triangle he's created to get yeah. in. Now, why there hasn't been an outside half who's actually looked at that? And that's why Bath used to play that running with a cross formation. Because somebody yes. who can make decisions late like Ford can spot somebody's come out of the line and actually pop it to the person who's running off his yeah. right shoulder. And... You know, it can't be that hard. I don't know if no. I, I know it's easy for me to sit here, but it can't be that hard to work it out. When you, especially for a tenor Sexton's caliber, you'd hope that he would maybe recognise that. Mm. But I'd, part of me thinks that he's got so little confidence in his supporting cast at the moment. He just they kept they keep trying to run that sort of Sexton trademark wraparound thing, just yeah. over and over again until they go ironic- backwards. Ironically, the answer is a set piece defense, a set play defense, isn't it? Mm. It doesn't matter what's actually happening in front of them, that's the defense that they run. Yeah, you, and they're going to keep doing it until it goes wrong. So, ironically, I think the best way to actually defeat it will be a set piece, a set play. You know, actually, yeah, something on the, similar. On the, on the third phase, you go there, you go there, and we <clears> run this pattern, which actually breaks their pattern. Because it's not like they're going to keep you guessing, is it? No, it's not. England, like... England's defense isn't going to make you guess about what's going on. It's just like the blitz constantly. Yeah. And and it's it's interesting because obviously Wales are, are very similarly minded blitz wise, mm. and you just think, Christ on a bike, this is going not going to be a pretty game in two weeks' time, is it? Because it's just going to be yeah, line speed and lack of intelligence. <laughs> Great, um, but anyway, I thought Ireland were actually kind of decent on the whole. I 
given how badly I thought we thought it might go last week when we looked at the injury list and stuff. I think, you know, let's face it, they could have easily won the game if they hadn't had that 10 minutes well, of England, switching off and, and England blitzing them with those two tries. And England's penalty count's still horrific. Oh, unbelievable. So they're, they're, they're going to let any team <clears throat> stay in touch with them. Yeah. And, and Ireland aren't a bad team. They're not playing no. well, but they're not a bad team. And I thought McCloskey and Henshaw as a centre partnering partnership rather look look very promising. Uh, Van der Fleer was very good in the back mm. row. Isaac Ross um, really shored up their scrum. It's and Sexton and Murray were, were pretty decent. Uh, you know, particularly Murray, he's so dangerous near the line, like the body angle yeah. that he gets and the size that he's got to sort of dive over. He's very efficient at that. McCloskey is massive. He's huge. He's like some sort of weird, incredible... Because like, Ronnie Henshaw is like, a big bloke and he yeah, looks McCloskey, like a small yeah. child next to him. McCloskey looks like he stood 200 foot close to the camera than everybody else. <laughs> it's like they've got, the, they've got the kind of perception thing all wrong. Yeah, he is. I'm just checking what his stats are. I'm sure he they must... said he's about 6'3 and about 17'8. He's 6'4 and 17'2. Burgess size, basically. Basically, yeah. Big lad. Big, big lad. lad. Big, big lad. Um, However, yeah. not big enough for Nick Mullins to be able to tell the difference between him and Robbie Henshaw. <laughs> what was obviously. that about? It's like it's like getting a, a, a grown man and his teenage brother and sitting them next to each other and then not being able to pick them apart from 100 yards away or whatever. He did it about four times. And I know. It, he I kept said, doing it. Either they look alike. It's like one's 12... And one's 13. It's, 13. it's not even it's like, not if you can see their back, I can maybe understand it, but not really. No. But the fact that you can actually see their back is yeah. ridiculous. It's like, did you see that um, in the Super Rugby this weekend, um, the sh- slight deriving from the point here, but yeah, um, they've got um, there's two loose forwards for the Sharks um, and their twin brothers, Dan and Jean Luc Dupria. And they are proper twin brothers as well. Like they've got the same haircut, the same build. One plays six and one plays eight. And I just felt for all of the commentators because it's like, unless you're watching from the back, what the fuck do you do there? It's like, and I think they were just like, well, there's a Dupria. Um, Imagine being a ref. Well, yeah, that, that's two yellows. You're off. No, no, no. You gave the other yellow to him. <laughs> yeah, and, and who's going to? Sure. Yeah, and who's going to? But yeah, that that's hard. Telling the difference between two men of different sizes, faces, builds, and yeah. numbers on the back is not hard. Yes. Yeah. Tell him. Tell him the two people because they just happen to both have stubble. It's no excuse. <laughs> yeah. No. So um, that, that that's yeah. it. Anything else, Josh? On that? Yeah. Title showdown in a fortnight's time, I guess. I think that's good for the game, but perhaps the it's, fact that it might just be just two defences running into each other for 80 minutes. Yeah, it's going to be dreadful. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, I've I got some flack for this on Twitter, but it's like England could seem to only really be able to score tries once they've knackered the opposition enough to make them lose composure a bit, and Wales can't score tries at all. So, yeah. and, and also, Wales don't get tired. So... But remember, three all. The greatest championship in the world. It certainly TM. is. Definitely not a shit. The greatest match. and oldest, not yes. at all stulted, stultifying championship in yes. the world. Devin, it wasn't actually level. that bad this weekend. It was fine. Wales it was, fine. was terrible, but it was all right. You know. Yeah. Right. So that was the review of the weekend. Now, last mm. week, if you remember listening to the pod last week, we all, I particularly, went off on one about I'm sick of analysis. 
Yes. And that I'm completely and utterly, there's too much of it and none of it tells us anything. Now, I got some, I get emails through from Accenture, who are the official technology partner of the RBS Six Nations. And we get these. Do you get those as well, Josh? You on I don't list? actually. No, I feel slightly left out. Well, I'm on the I'm on the, I'm on the RBS Six Nations media mailing list, so we get these stats through mm. all the time. And I'm forever, forever frustrated by the meters made or meters carried stats because <clears> it's always the back three that are top, and it's like yeah, that's because they get yes, open space. pasture to run into yeah. for so so long. And it said at the bottom of one of the emails, I didn't realise this, but one of the emails, it said, if you want to get in touch with us to, to do some data for us, then email this thing. So I wrote to uh, the lads at Accenture, a great bunch of lads, and said, oi, this metres carry thing, can you do something that tells us about <coughs> effective metres made? Mm. So what I mean is either after the guideline or after contact, something that's a little bit better. And I assumed that would go into a black hole in the ground. As you but, would. Funnily enough, I got an email from, from a great lad over at uh, Accenture who said, oh, that's just really interesting. We've got this, and we'll add the round three stuff in. And anyway, he's come up with the stats within about two hours for us. Yes, and it's a, he's done it in a lovely graph that I'm he's not entirely it. sure that I'm accurately interpreting. <laughs> yeah, so he's done it in a lovely graph for us, and yes. it actually looks at what they're calling carry effectiveness, which is basically looks at well what are the percentage of effective meters that each player makes so bear Mm. with me on this one if a person makes a hundred meters in a game and what they have measured is if 40 percent of those meters that they make are after the gain line so they're beyond the gain line then they've got an effectiveness of 40 percent that right josh have i explained that correctly i think so yes yeah so basically The effective percentage is the number of meters is the percentage of meters that a player makes that are beyond the gain line. So it's not just about running into open pasture. So when you look at that, and I will post this, um, it might be worthwhile if you listen to the pod to get this graph up on Twitter. I will post it. It always up on definitely there. is. It yeah. always definitely is. But anyway, I think what you need to understand <laughs> is is that let's take it for example, Billy, Billy Vunapola, right? Who is by a country mile, everybody say, look at his carrying. It yes. is absolutely amazing. And what these stats are telling us is that Billy Vunapola, across the three games in the championship so far, has carried 58 times. And of those mm-hmm. times, he's got over the game line over 30 times. And of all the metres that he's made, 68% of them are over the game line, or what you might call effective metres. Yeah. On the other end of the scale is Stuart Hogg who, as a fullback, you can understand, gets a lot of open passes to run into. So even though he's run, he's run hundreds of metres in the tournament, I mm. think over 200 metres in the tournament, only 22% of them are actually effective. Yeah, and, and you can look at that through, it's, it's borne out through all the fullbacks, isn't it? Liam Williams is the same, it's 26%, 26% effective. You yeah. know. But what it makes you realise is, is that some people <clears> are surprisingly <throat> incredibly effective. Billy Vunapola, not so much, 60%, you probably expect that. Yeah, but he makes seventy percent of his mates. Sergio Paris is sixty three percent, carries yes. a lot of ball over the game line. You would expect yeah. that. Michele Calpagnaro. Good God, he's effective. Yeah, eighty two percent of the meters that he makes are over the game line. Now we've all been talking about how his leg drive is amazing and, and all that kind of stuff, and this just kind of bears it out, really. Yeah, and he is, has carried the ball a fucking shitload as well. To be blunt. Like yeah, I think he's he's carried over 166 meters. meters he's carried the... 166 meters in total, and 82 percent of that yes. has been over the gain line. 
which for an outside centre seems ridiculous because he's not back covering kicks very often. He's not sort of around the fringes doing the yeah. hard yards thing. He is just... Well, it, it kind of bears up to what you've seen of him all tournament. It's just he gets on the outside shoulder of his opposite man, uh, he engages the afterburners, and off he goes. Yeah, and even when he gets a head-on tackle, he makes at least another five metres, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. And then there's some... Go on, sorry, Josh. And, yeah, you, you look at sort of some of the the Italian stats, they're, they're actually very impressive. Like, they've clearly... It bears out from what we were saying that they've got backs now who can do a, yeah. an effective job. You know, Garcia is 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 a very effective. He's seventy five percent as well. Um, and that's across the three games. I mean, they, yeah, exactly. they both look pretty good against Scotland, yeah. but they're carrying this year. But this is across the three games. As yeah, well. it's like it's very easy for for a player who never carries the damn ball. Like, hello, Martin Castro Giovanni, and you're hundred <laughs> percent. Bank of Ireland is looking out for your financial well-being. They want to help protect you from fraud. So whether it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or even just plain old Tuesday, be careful online. Don't assume that every text message or email you get claiming to be from a bank, a delivery service, or any company is legit. And remember, Bank of Ireland will never send you a text message or an email with a link asking for your full 365 PIN number or one-time passcodes, so don't give them out. Search Bank of Ireland Security. And together, this Christmas, we won't let the fraudsters win. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Very efficiency. Um, yeah, nobody's buying that, but you've, you've, you've gone for three metres, that doesn't count. But, you know, it's showing that these Italian backs, they are genuinely very very impressive in terms of, of how they can make play, positive impact on the game whereas yeah some of the, the other nations backs they're, they're clearly not doing quite so good a job yeah interestingly Jamie Roberts's carry effectiveness is 75% which surprises me because it doesn't seem like he gets over the game line that often well I think I guess... he always gets over the game line just not yeah, much just not much yeah so actually, look, he's actually made 45 metres off 12 carries. Yeah. So then and you then, start to realise how many metres... And 33 metres of that are beyond the game line. Yeah. Whereas you look at someone like John Davis, who's outside him, and you know he's had 15 carries for 84 metres, which is you know nearly double. Yeah, so we actually... One thank you to uh, the guys at Accenture, yeah. and if you want to find out some... some um, Rugby stats yourself. You Genuinely can follow. Very them. interesting. You can follow them at, at Accenture Rugby. Rugby, but this mm. is the kind of stats I like. A lot of it, to be honest, I can take a leave. 
but this one's actually very very useful what i will do is is i will put the picture up on twitter and on the website and also they've sent me a very a spreadsheet with everything in that they've created this visualization out of so you can have a look at that as well but i'll leave you with this one cj stander who i think has played every minute of every game near it's, enough yes pretty much yeah and his carry carrying percentage is 100 percent genuinely remarkable it's genuinely he's carried baffling. for 66 meters and across every, three games across yeah. three games and every single one of those meters was over the game line which so means he's, he's either getting the ball when the players already get beyond the game line one which doesn't seem which, which doesn't seem right serve, doesn't seem like he was it seemed like he just was doing a lot of carrying around the fringes or he's basically picking and driving and making meters yeah. Or he's basically taking the ball on the pop right on the game line and getting over it. Either way, he's clearly very effective. Yeah, carries a lot, gets over the game line a lot. Yeah. Well, he gets over the game line 100% of the time. Well, yeah, <laughs> all the time. 100% of the time, it works every time. It works every time, yeah. So, yeah, so I will post that up. Interesting stat stuff hmm. for those of you who are into that sort of thing. Hmm. Now then. Let's move on to our recently developed feature, which is hashtag shitwatch. Well, this is just getting a bit weird, isn't it? So, after two games and a mere, what, 14 days, yeah. Cardiff bloody won. Against Ulster? Yeah. Now, oh. last week you said it'll be angry Ulster because they lost in such circumstances yeah. last week. Well, it's, it was for about 60 minutes, and then they went to shit, and Reese Patchell put on a late show and managed to get them over the line. Um, yeah. I, I'm quite surprised to be honest and I level with you I know that this whole thing was kind of my idea but I'm starting to worry if this is going a little bit wrong like, <laughs> see but I don't sh- think so Ulster Shitwatch so. just seems silly well no <laughs> it doesn't because they lost to Cardiff who yes, let's I be honest, they did. Are, are a bit shit yes and also let's if this feels slightly weird and wrong right now I feel that all will be righted next week because oh, yes. got, they've got Zebra at home so so it'll be back where it's supposed it'll to be. It'll be back where it's supposed to be in Italy. With an Italian uh, club <laughs> losing for weeks on end. We well, hope. Zebra, Zebra that's is quite tidy, let's be honest. I mean, for uh, by Italian standards, they're quite tidy. By normal human standards, they're terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, it seems we are now on hashtag Ulster Shitwatch, at least Who for the next seven coming? days. Nobody saw yeah. that coming, did they? But I do nope. like the way it's taken us down alleyway, alleyways we, we never would have thought of. Nope. And funnily enough, and we get, I get tweets now, and obviously the the thing I get tweets about most is James Haskell. Obviously, and any time he does anything wrong, I get an absolute avalanche on Twitter. The second <laughs> thing I'm getting most tweets about now is shit watch. People say, "Does this mean Ulster is shit now?" Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> Hashtag Ulster shit watch at least for the next week because you know, hey, it's science. We can't it argue is. with we the can't, science. We can't argue. We've this is the the thing that we have created, and we can't object to when it creates results that we might not have been expecting. That's science. That is, it is science, and there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. And speaking of science, the shit good ratings, the only rating system that matters. You're getting very smooth at that, you know. That, don't you? I am, yeah. Well, I have to edit in the actual proper version later. Yeah. And that's when it all goes wrong. Yeah, so the <laughs> shit good ratings are the only uh, rating system that matters. I do feel it's lost something with me becoming competent at getting the jingle in. It was much better when it was an absolute nightmare. 
So the shit good ratings uh, yes. from the weekend. Uh, what have you got? Let's do shit first, Ross. Yes. Uh, what have you got, um, Josh? My first shite. shit is, uh, I would have used this every week last season, but a, a, a rare appearance of the Scrum. After a quiet couple mm. of weeks where Scrum fuckery was fairly minimal in the Six Nations, it came roaring back this week in relatively game-ruining form. Particularly uh, Wales-France, where Wayne's Bonds is pedantry just constantly sapped any momentum that attacking teams had and the will to live for all of us poor fuckers who were watching it at home um, yeah yeah even that because Jaco Piper even lost it a bit oh, didn't he because he, yeah. he, he was actually trying in the first game to actually say look I know it's collapsing but just get the fucking ball out well, and that's, get on with it that is the new and IRB that's what's gone, thing yeah. is the new IB guidelines is if it goes down it's not dangerous and the ball's available fuck it play on which is great the problem is when you get an official like Barnes who's just hideously, ridiculously fussy about engagement, then yes. the ball never even gets that far. And I've heard some pundits say that like stopping the clock or whatever would solve some of the problems at scrum time, but that's only half of the equation because stopping the clock doesn't change the fact that all of these stupid fucking niggly pen like engagement resets, they just sap the focus and the momentum of the players and it frustrates and bores the fans. Um, I think it's a very basic point as well. If you're a back, you're going to get cold and yeah. you're going to play worse because you just stood there doing nothing. At least if you're, you're a forward, prop, you get to cuddle up and have a push and true. stuff. But... but if you're a prop and you're sort of psyched up and then you're just constantly sort of, you know, it's mm. like sort of having to get up for it and then, you know, blue balls the scrum to be slightly crude, then, <laughs> you know, you can, I think Brian Moore said as much when, when Eddie Butler asked him on Friday night, do you think it's more the more they do it, the more likely there is to be a penalty? And he was like, well, yeah, obviously. Because it's the nature of the beast, isn't it? There are too yeah. many, it's like a golf swing, there's too many moving parts. It's going to yeah. go wrong if you keep overworking it. Yeah. So just get the fucking ball in and out. I absolutely agree. No, 18 minutes of England v Ireland was taken up by scrums. That I mean, that's just stat. absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? It's it's just, there is absolutely no excuse for it. No. At all. Like, I, I don't know what the... Like, maybe the only way to solve it is to make early engagement a full penalty offence instead of a free kick so that teams are less keen to fuck around in that regard and maybe even just allow early pushing because everybody does it regardless anyway. But something's got to be done because it's or just, just dreadful. If it, if, if it collapses more than twice, then the ref just, just says, well, one of you's, one of you's just getting the ball, tap it, yeah. go. I think, I yeah, that might be a, a better option. But then again, people just deliberately balls it up then because they don't fancy scrummaging, don't they? It becomes rugby league. This is what the problem is, mm. isn't it? Anyway, so that yes. yeah, so the scrum was pretty bad. Um, uh, from a shit point of view, we both said this, but it's slightly controversial, but I think we've had a little bit of sympathy on this uh, on mm. Twitter and on the comments on the blog as well, is um, Sergio Parise. Yeah. yeah, again, I mean, you can't deny that he was individually phenomenal. 63% effective carrying scat, well, exactly. uh, percentage <laughs> um, it was probably one of his best performances individually for Italy ever uh, yeah, and wasn't. he was head and shoulders their best player but that's kind of the problem yes. it was an individual performance I, I really thought it was interesting to hear Bergamasco say before the game that Sergio's tendency to try and do it all himself can actually be damaging to Italy and he demonstrated that yet again at the end of the game as you, as you said on Twitter it's, like his yeah, level of fuck it I'll do it myself was stratospheric and it was damaging as well. Well, yeah, because there were 10 minutes left, 10 points down, a penalty mm. in a place that even Mona could kick it from. Yeah. And he decided to tap and go. Yeah, at the very least, kick for the corner and use the line-out. You know, it's... like I get people talk about what a great captain he is and that he leads by example very heroically, and he does, but... 
being a leader is also about having faith that your teammates can get the job done and too often he looks like he doesn't think that any of them are any fucking cop and arguably that's cost him two games it's funny how we've not heard what as you rightly said what Mirko Bergamasco said it's amazing that's not come out before they obviously mm. keep a very quiet they keep the council over there don't they it's just amazing think... somebody hasn't come out and moaned before because obviously he's not asked about being picked anymore is he Mirko so he's probably just going well you know, he pissed us off a lot I think that's me. the thing isn't it like I think to challenge any sort of just to like challenge his authority in any way shape or form would mean that you're out on your ear because he is their best player and their captain and you know you'd have to be a fucking mug to try and get on the wrong side of him if you wanted to carry a career on so like you said he's not not bothered anymore there's a great story about Brian Clough when he was selected for England when he was 22 and Billy Wright was still playing for England who had like 140 odd caps and was like an England legend and was well in with the boss and basically Billy Wright came in and said something and Brian Clough being Brian Clough even at the age of 22 said yeah that's because you're bloody lazy and don't run around and put your tackles in that's why <laughs> never selected again yeah but and I think there is that element of, of, there of, is that, definitely of that going that element, on I think but but I think as you said that there is more about being a leader than just leading by example and actually you have to know when not giving it the Billy big bollocks show pony routine is not is not the idea is not no. the idea and that your team needs at that time yeah and it was total rush of the tap penalty thing was you could just tell that was game gone for them then because that was their moment to really exert pressure one way or another and he just pissed it away to try and make himself look good shit Jules police on and his oh, incredibly good. scrambled God. mind uh, he, he plays like he's got some sort of alien parasite in his brain that will <laughs> occasionally override all of his decision making and motor functions because he just doesn't make any sense. He's terrible. Yeah, what, He's genuinely it insane. That, it is one of those things. You always feel like pulling to a stand and go, what is it you're trying to do here, Jules? Yes, Let just, me help. Help yes, me help, help you. Exactly. Tell me what is it you're trying to do. I, I mean, obviously, the, the kicking the ball on for George North thing was his most notorious moment of insanity. But all game, he was basically just ridiculous and terrible and just... Didn't Aimless. that try just sum up the entire game? Really? It, it really did, but it particularly an air shot from north, him. and then Blisson just gently, <laughs> literally side footing it beautifully into his path to score. It, it's not his fault though. He's just being who he is. It's Guinevere's fault for continuing to pick him. And the That's real like, insanity, as we've mentioned before, is that Francois fucking trying to do the best or at least the most mentally stable French fly off of his generation was just sat That's on the like, bench until the game was long gone. Blisson's you know, useless and awfulness is, is rendered even more palpable by the fact they've got this decent and steadfastly non insane yes. number ten on the bench. Look how good they like how much better they looked when he came on. All of a sudden they had some semblance of shape and direction yes. and they scored a try. And he actually runs angles that make sense. Yeah. And like if if he's not starting in a fortnight's time I think we can clearly assume that Guinevez has actually gone senile. Yeah, I've never seen him speak yet. I don't, no. So. Anyway, think... so yeah, so that was it. Jules' piece on his shit as well. Yes. Anything else you've got there? Uh, yeah, I've got two slightly controversial ones. First up, Dan Lidiot. Um, I need to qualify this by saying, on the whole, I thought he was quite decent on Friday. Like, the back row looks a lot more balanced and effective with the real six in there and Warburton back to seven. However, two weeks on a bounce now, he's been penalised for these no-arms speed bump tackles. And... It's clearly something that refs are targeting and keep an eye out for. And, I mean, at least it was a pen and not a yellow like it was last week. But, 
next week he might not be so lucky. He's, he's, he's made his career by keeping just on the right side of the law with those tackles, but now the goalposts have clearly moved and he needs to sort it out sharpish or he's becomes, going to become a liability. It becomes Gethin Jenkins in the scrum again, doesn't it? Refs yes, exactly. Oh, I've realised what you're doing now. He doesn't actually offer anything else. Yeah. If he can't do that, that's the problem. He's worked on his carrying and his passing, but he's never going to be good at either. And I was watching Ross Moriarty for Gloucester on Sunday and it just made me think maybe the time, if he can't sort this tackle technique out and keeps getting pinged for it, maybe it's time for Wales to try something a bit different and a bit more dynamic at six. And if Ross Moriarty's even about 60% as hard as, hard as his dad, then he yes. should be in there straight away. Because Paul Moriarty was terrifying. <laughs> he was in two co- In two codes, he was terrifying. Yes, and he's got Ross has got something of his dad about him. You look at him and you think, no, no I want no part of you. <laughs> that's good. I like that. He's and, like, um, yeah. He could be Wales' answer to that uh, Colliver Lishvili, whatever he's got. Yes, the, uh, and who wouldn't want that? And who wouldn't my want other that? Shit, my other shit controversial one from Wales um, is, um, I know he's been out for a while, but it's Jonathan Davis. On Friday night, he carried the ball seven times, mm. and he kicked the ball seven times, and he passed once. He's an outside centre, and your your 13 should never be kicking the ball seven times in a game, and he should certainly be passing more than once. And... But well, you see, I, I, you know, my eyes have been open now because he's got an eighty-seven percent effectiveness carrying. He has, and I'm not taking stand. that. I'm not taking that away from him. But what about those seven times where he had the opportunity <laughs> to carry, carry a game, anything. and yeah, he yeah. just fucking let? I mean, yeah, okay, his kick set up North's comedy try, but he just is symptomatic of a backline that's just so desperately low on confidence that nobody really seems to be comfortable doing anything but take a safe, risk-free option. Like no other outside centre kicked more than once over the weekend. And he kicked seven times. Gareth Davis as well. His decision making is appalling. Oh, he God. kicked the ball so many times. I mean, and, and I said during the Scotland game, I tweeted, Scotland were actually could certainly teach Wales a thing or two about decision making. Certainly when they got could. behind the yeah. game line, because they actually just held the ball and played quite well. Didn't yeah, they? I think it's, that's kind of why they've missed Webb because Webb offers so much of true. what yeah. Davis can, but he actually makes good decisions as well. So, from a shit point of view, I've got a couple of things here. They've got uh, Lawrence yeah. Delalio, who every oh. time there's a penalty against England, describes it as a shame. Oh. What a yeah. shame. And, and what a, honestly, what a shame anytime, he just broke the laws of the game there. Anytime anything bad happens for England, he describes it as a shame. And, like, I get it, Lawrence. You were an England legend, but just try and just rein it in a little bit. That's all we ask. I, I'm English, and, and my his rank apologism for anything bad that happens to him. He always tries to qualify what's just happened as if it isn't actually the fault of the person that's done it or yeah. a problem. It's always and he all loves well. James Haskell too uh, and he can Loads do, no- do. He can do nothing wrong. Well he's like, ex-wasp isn't he? I know and I get that but God. Yeah. Uh, so, anything came off or any more? And then last shit was Ad, Ad Hon on Twitter said about Elliot Daly who's much heralded Elliot Daly's first attacking touch was when he leathered the ball out on the full as the last play <laughs> when there was a bit of an overlap on because he wasn't just slightly misjudged it it properly went about oh, 27 metres yeah. I mean uh, I'm sure he just thinks well I've got that out of my system now it's yeah. done but yeah it wasn't good um, right good yeah, stuff my, then uh, I've got one more shit actually which oh, I just on want it. to cover which is the Southern Kings and the Sunwolves the uh, new entrance to the Super Rugby ridiculous continuing request to have so many teams in it that seasons will take six years to complete and they'll have to put expansion franchises on Mars but um, yeah the Super Kings Rugby could... 2036 will have 240 teams <laughs> it in does it. seem that way they're just getting 
But yeah, the Kings got battered by the Sharks at home 43-8. Um, and the Sunwolves, um, we touched on how badly their preparation had gone last week, I think. And um, while they only lost 26-13 at home, such was the gulf in quality and general physical ability that um, one New Zealand col- columnist called for them to be wound up on Saturday morning. Um <laughs> He's been alarmist, of course, but yeah, it's just not started very well. Yeah, they can't all. be wound up because moving on to the good, oh, they have released yes. their mascot. Oh, yes. Uh, if you try it, and wind that club up, imagine what that mascot's going to do. Exactly. He will spark you right out. Um, it's probably my highlight of the week. That um, You've obviously, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you've definitely seen this already because me and you have talked about nothing else for the last four or five days. I just, It's marvellous. It's just... It's Just equal so parts well. terrifying, baffling, and pointless, <laughs> and mystifying. Be- because, as you said, why does it have human hands? <laughs> That's the thing. It's it's so half-assed and fucking terrible. And it's just a wonderful insight into the gloriously insane world of Japanese rugby culture. And I am a hundred percent on board with it. I do also, like. The did, rugby- did you see the pack? No. There was there oh the was, wolf pack yeah sorry yes. I thought you meant the, the oh yes pack. yeah, well, yeah I, don't, I don't know where they came from but he had four mates but they weren't dressed up like him they were sort of dressed up like they were in some sort of like contemporary dance troupe like yeah with street uh, dance wolf yes uh, as friend of the pod Nell Plant pointed out clearly the Mighty Boosh is big in Japan because they just look like the mod wolves. <laughs> what I did like is that Rodri Morgan Smith on Twitter has christened him. Pinging, he's called pinging. He's not actually know. called pinging. Oh, he's not. No, right. this is the one of my other favourite bits. Um, it was a joke by um, New Zealand Herald reporter Matt Nippert because pinging and it went is, around the world is an Antipodean term for somebody who's strung out on speed. Um, <laughs> and it was totally lost on everybody, including the official Super Rugby Twitter account. Oops. Um, so uh, yeah, <laughs> that is brilliant. Tweak- tweaking was the word for it in my day, I believe. But uh, yeah, so. He's not actually called pinging, but yes, he is now called pinging. So, but Roger Morgan Smith on Twitter has said actually, actually called him Rapey Wolf. I mean, yeah, he's also that. There's Which is something... very funny. And he can kind of threaten that, you know, lads, if you don't play well tomorrow, Rapey Wolf is coming into the showers <laughs> with you. Yeah, sweet dreams. Sleep well. Yeah, so that that is probably the best thing that's happened this week. Uh, quite comfortably. Even yeah. including the rugby. Yeah. Um, every game that wasn't a Six Nations game seems to be good this week. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Super Rugby came back and was roundly brilliant. Um, Los Jaguares score. If you haven't seen the try that they scored, I to have. Take the lead. It is glorious. My good god, they're going to be fun to watch this year. And and Super Rugby in general was brilliant. The Prem and the Pro Twelve was actually pretty entertaining. It is just the Six Nations that was a terrible yeah. arm wrestling. Fast. Very very quick on the good. I'm going to give myself a actually pat on the back because pretty much all of my predictions in my previews <laughs> came true. Yes, not just the results, actually the margin of result and the type of result that it was as well. So yes. we'll leave that there. Well done. Um, and then finally, I would like to, from a good point of view, just finally mention that Richard on the blog mm. said about Damien Shuley, which is a very backhanded compliment. Who said that he was mentioned twice in the first thirty minutes of the game, which is good for him because he usually gets one mention, which is and Damien Shuley's being replaced by somebody else. <laughs> that was that's obviously See, quite true. Speaking of things that happened in the first twenty minutes of the game, uh, Rob Evans not only yeah. looked very impressive in the scrum, but also for some reason in the first twenty minutes um, thought like he he was Sonny Bill Williams or something because he was just offloading at yeah, every. That's true, si- isn't it? Yeah. He did about four offloads in ten minutes, and it was hilarious because. 
until Gatlin pressed the electrocution button on him. It was actually quite effective by keeping the ball alive. Like, well, stay on the front foot, but obviously that all petered out instantly. But yeah, credit to him. Uh, From a good point of view, very quickly for me, Marowitu told you he was outstanding. Again, played a full 80 minutes. Guillem Gerardo, who's fighting a losing battle in an absolute pool of shambolic nonsense with uh, France. I quite like the look of Alton Dillon. Dylan off the bench. The yes, lad. I he thought he was handy. very good. Yeah, I thought uh, Van der Fleer was very good. Um, Hogg was very good. Uh, he actually remembered how to pass this week. Remember, two yes, passes, two tries. This is what happens, Stuart. When you throw it to people in the same colour shirt. Yes, and uh, and also and, and also you know when he's not acting the big you know when he's not oh, acting I the know. cock. Yes. He's a really, really good player. He really he? is. He's exceptional. Speaking of very good players who occasionally cocks, um, Manitou Ilagi, um looked exceptionally good. Coming back for, Le- uh, for Leicester, he's like third game back now. I'd be very surprised if he's not in the squad for the Wales game. He's coming into jo- he's joining England for two days, isn't he? Yes. This and week, then going back to play for Leicester. Yeah, he's definitely going to be in the squad because his hit on Blair Cowan, if you haven't seen it, was devastating. And he showed some very soft hands um, in improvisation for cross try as well. So, yeah, he's he's got to be involved some way, I think. Okay, well, that was... The Shit Good Ratings. The only rating system that matters. Right, we're going to finish off now with the kind of it, it's kind of continuation of the shit good races, but it did kind of need its own bit, which is mm. which is this whole issue about the TMO. When I asked for <laughs> um, when I asked for nominations for shit good on Twitter this week, I got an absolute avalanche of comments about the TMO in the Connacht game, which disallowed the Sam Davis try. Having looked at it, uh, it was an appalling decision. Genuinely, he wasn't held in under no. any under any where you can define being held. Yes. And te- and and you could argue was it even a double movement really? But it was awful. No. But there's a bigger issue here, isn't there really? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I will put my hand up and say yes, I'm an Ospreys fan. I have some skin in this particular game, but it was a ridiculous silly decision. But the problem is that the Pro 12 continues to undermine the already poor standard of its officiating by allowing non-neutral officials to muddy the waters constantly because it was a game played between across border you know teams Irish and Welsh teams mm. playing played in Ireland with an entirely Irish officiating team now that would never happen in any other European, high level sport. In any other sport at all no. As a, an official that is quite an entire team of officials that are in no way neutral and like I don't actually believe that that George Clancy and his his team were you know no. intentionally trying to fucking. I also don't the buy this whole thing about how it's a, it's a corrupt system. No, that's appointing them to 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 rig draw, to rig results. I'm not having no, that. I'm not. I'm but. not tinfoil hat in that regard. But the problem is that when an absolute cock up by an official happens. Like, and, these things ha- yeah. and these things happen a lot in the Pro 12 anyway because the standard of refereeing is so bad but fans understandably look at the nationality of the ref and the nationality of the team he's given a hand to and it's not totally under, you know, out of the realms of possibility to look at it and go well that looks fucking dodgy then doesn't it and it's yeah it's, it's stupid and it, it undermines the quality of the Pro 12 and it's become such a regular and damaging occurrence I don't 
it's hard, it's damaging to the league itself. Something that's even more problematic now that the Pro Twelve league positions actually mean something, which they didn't used to. It was like yes. when the Pro Twelve was basically Mickey Mouse. Nobody really gave a shit. But the fact of the matter is that that decision on Saturday night has probably cost the Ospreys at least two points, if not a win, because um, that would have been a fourth try bonus point and at least a losing bonus point. Um, yeah. And as a result, they might well miss out on Champions Cup, Cup, quali- uh, Cup qualification for next season because of that. And that was a big deal, isn't it? I think, but it's it's, I think the TMO generally. Well, it, somebody needs they need to have a sit down wherever they have these sit downs. Well, the, the other thing about I'm the sure there's canopies. Well, they sit down and then they they have to. You know what's so frustrating? Nobody can actually just say just do this. There has to be a pilot, doesn't there, for the, in yeah. some lower league for nineteen years? For we can then an evaluation of the pilot. When actually, you just need to be told that this is how you use it, and this is when it will be allowed and to be that used. Is the, that is the thing: giving refs access to video replays, Hawkeye, whatever. It doesn't actually make any difference if the referees don't understand the laws of the game or know how to apply them with any sort of sensitivity or logic in a way that reflects the spirit of the game of rugby. And more and more I'm seeing that, particularly when it comes to video replays in the TMO, the refs, they they don't have any sort of understanding of of how the game yeah, and they, and they bottle it. interpreted and they bottle it completely. That, I, that Ireland non-try versus England when it was yeah. called as held up, Anybody could see. I know it's that because you couldn't see that but that it was ball obviously was down. A try. Yeah, it was the most obviously bought, you know, down ball you've seen, really. Yeah, and 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 because of the syntax that that the ref used, try yes or no instead of any reason why I can't, then the TMO's hands are tied. And it was the same with that Gareth Davis try against Scotland. You know, the ref asks the wrong question to the TMO, so he didn't check the fact that Davis was clearly ten yards offside. Yeah, you know. And there was a, and then you look at the flip side of the coin. In in the Wasps Quins game this week, we had the classic thing where the ref asked the TMO to check a potential roll ball, roll forward of the ball three phases back on the halfway line. And it's like, for fuck's sake, why that just shouldn't going? be allowed. That's easy no. enough to say that. That's just like, yeah. sorry, but you can't go back to previous phases. It's absolutely no, it's ridiculous. Stupid. Um, and I just and, I, and yeah. I get I get annoyed with with trying to watch a game and because the refs are mic'd up, which is fair enough. All you can hear is when you're trying to watch a game is somebody going, "Can you just check what that was there? Can you just check why that fella fell over? Yeah, what's going on? Anything I need to look at there, John?" And then they, <coughs> then they stop play. Yeah, and then it just it just it ruined. I think technology is a good thing. I'm not one of these naysaying people. Same. I think I think football are insane. They've not brought it in more, Same. more quickly. I think it- it's, but it's the way it's being used now is just—it's just—it's becoming—it it hinders, it becomes stultifying, and it just becomes a bit of a joke. Yeah, I think the kind of NFL thing where referees make a decision, and then if there is video ref available, then the ref has to find clear evidence that their original decision was wrong, not that the original decision was right, in order to award it. And I think. That's kind of how it needs to be. Referees should make their call with their best judgment and with the assistance hmm. assistance of the touch judges. And then if the video ref wants to then get involved because he's seen clear evidence that that is somehow wrong, yeah. then fair enough. Otherwise, he can be quiet. And it's like, what is it you're actually looking at? I mean, that, that island try, yeah. non-try, it's like, well, what are you actually looking at? You must have seen him run over the line like that. 
Yeah. Then you run over and take three minutes to come over and go, oh, it's not on the ground anymore. Well, of course it's not, because if it no, lands on the ground for three it. seconds, yeah, just and... actually understand how the game's played and have a little bit, like you said, a bit of sympathy with what the game is like. And scoring is bloody hard. Yeah, and so much of this, like, there was a particularly charming individual on Twitter last night decided to relentlessly berate me because they had a, a single a single freeze frame of that Sam Davis thing where in the freeze frame it looked like the Connacht player had a hold of Sam Davis with his knee on the ground and therefore that meant that the tackle had been completed and therefore the ref was totally right and I'm so sick of the game being refereed in slow motion yeah, because it just shouldn't be allowed yeah. everything looks worse and everything is just sort of magnified stupidity like I mean part of me thinks that even though I think it's slightly dodgy that he he hasn't got some kind of sighting for it I think the Mike Brown thing looks much worse in slow-mo than it, it does, does at yeah. full pace yeah. and I still think it could have been reckless but yes, yeah, th- he was playing for the ball was he, he wasn't trying to kick somebody yeah, head totally. off he was just he was playing for the ball and but all of these things they always look bad in slow motion and and you know go it's, it doesn't actually give any sort of clear picture of what actually happened when it was at full pace because if you can do something frame by frame chances are you can find a problem somewhere so we don't like the TMO as it currently is I don't think anybody no. does really this thing it's not even like somebody saying it's a great idea or the the, 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 the form as it is the technical mytheration operative I think he should be called because that's basically just constantly <laughs> in the ear all the time speaking of constantly in the ear all the time another wonderful example of Nigel Owens getting himself on telly yes at the weekend why is it no other touch judge does no. this no other touch judge walks on and has to have a full conversation and, and it being full frame I think A he does enjoy being on television and B I think deep down in his heart of hearts he knows that he's the only one who's got a fucking clue <laughs> and, and he knows that deep down most of these other referees are pretty fucking hopeless and well, and there you go we'll end on that that yes. <laughs> referees are well, they're not really but uh, yeah I think you're right I think he stands there getting very frustrated but he's running yes. line, Nigel but anyway there you go so that's the end for this week we'll finish as we mm. always do with the loop which is the worst world's first and only uh, continuous rugby related mm. music playlist this suggestion this week has come from Dave on Twitter thank you very much you can uh, send us your nominations for anything that we talk about on here or nominate us to talk about something else I'm quite happy to listen to yes. anything um, and we he has nominated the rugby related play this week is Playball by ACDC cheers Josh cheers
Bank of Ireland is looking out for your financial well-being. They want to help protect you from fraud. So whether it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or even just plain old Tuesday, be careful online. Don't assume that every text message or email you get claiming to be from a bank, a delivery service, or any company is legit. And remember, Bank of Ireland will never send you a text message or an email with a link asking for your full 365 PIN number or one-time passcodes, so don't give them out. Search Bank of Ireland Security, and together this Christmas we won't let the fraudsters win. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.